Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huin of Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends Sean Walker of Simpleco. Hey, guys. Hey, man. And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. Hey. 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 This, po- <laughs> this podcast is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We'd also like to thank our newest patron to our Patreon campaign, Ryan Tran. If you'd like to support the show, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife if you'd like to show your support. Also, make sure you stick around to the end of the show. We're going to be talking about what we've got going on in our own shops. But uh, before we do that, let's get to some questions. Guy, you've got the first question. All right. This question is from Ray. And Ray says, hey, guys, this podcast has quickly become my favorite. Appreciate the time put in. Well, thank you, Ray. Uh, can you speak a bit on wide belt sanders with a platen head versus drum sanders? How important are they versus convenience? I currently own a Powermatic five horsepower open end belt sander. I like it a lot, but often run issues or into issues dialing it in. And recently, I've discovered the uh, feed table is not totally coplanar with the platen was thinking about selling and either A, buying a different machine, or B, exchanging if a wide belt is that advantageous. Maybe you just got a bad machine, Ray. The, the reason I took this question is because I've got some time in now, about four months, working with two wide belt commercial sanders. Mm-hmm. One is a Buttfrig 55 inch and the other is an scm 37 inch mm. and also at home i own a powermatic 2244 open end belt sander it's a belt sander a drum sander right drum sander oh okay. drum sander i'm sorry it's two completely different animals ray mm-hmm. uh it really depends on what you're doing what i can tell you what my, my experience has been using the buttfering which is a german manufacturer it was a very, a very expensive machine and the uh, SCM 37 inch mm-hmm. is that they are finicky beasts. They use a lot of hydraulics, or I should say pneumatics. So you have to have a, a very powerful air compressor hooked up to them for them to work properly. There's a lot of little switches and sensors inside of them that require uh, a lot of that. We put a lot of hours on those things, but we also spend a lot of time doing maintenance on them. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you can just call down the street and have somebody come fix them. Right. You've got to have, you know, uh, a factory authorized rep come in or, you know, somebody from out of town. Our our buttering went down, which was the 55 inch. And uh, the closest people that we could come up with was were in Cincinnati. And mm-hmm. they were just worthless. I'm not going to mention who they are. You know who you are. Um, if they listen, <laughs> yeah, if they listen, they do. <laughs> Actually, uh, there's a guy in Fort Wayne, Indiana. His name is Darcy Warner. I know Darcy uh, mm-hmm. not really well, but I, I know him. And uh, I sent him a picture of it and emailed it to him or texted it to him. And I said, "Hey, can you work on this?" He's like, "Yep." And he came down and fixed it for us, which was pretty cool. He spent the day. Uh, and got it up and going. So we're glad to have somebody at least within a couple hours mm-hmm. that can work on those machines. So Warner Machinery, right? Yeah. 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 Warner Machinery on Instagram. He's, he's Darcy's an amazing dude. Anyway, so in answer to your question, Ray, two completely different animals. If you're in a production environment, I'd highly recommend, even though I mentioned before, I, I just got through talking about all the ups and downs of owning one of these machines, these big commercial belt sanders. Uh, if you're in a production shop, they're just, you, you've got to have one. You're putting, through, you know, tabletops and table frames and this and that and the other thing. You got to have something big and powerful to put that stuff through. So I know you guys have both drum. have uh, open and drum sanders. Drum sanders, yeah. 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 What, what do you have, We? I've got, I, I actually have the same machine that you used to have, which is the Supermax 1936, I think. 38. Yeah. 38. 38. No, yeah, I can't do my math. Uh, 1938. Yeah. 
and it's a great machine. Again, you're totally right is that they're two different machines. But one thing is that these open ended or these wide belt sanders have a platen, whereas the platen in the case of a drum sander is the drum itself, I believe. Right. Is that am I correct on that? Well, the 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 bottom is the the platen, the piece that the the wood is riding on. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, uh, for some reason I thought it was uh, the plate between the belt and the sandpaper. Anyway, yeah, I just use I use the power mat or the um, super max, and that works really well for me. You do have to change out uh, the paper, and you know it comes out on a roll, so you have to roll that out, and that. Is it takes a little bit of time, but for a hobbyist shop like mine that does the occasional commission, it's more than enough. It's it's fine. I'd love to have a white belt sander, but man, these they take up a lot of space. Yeah, I may be wrong on the platen thing too. Yeah, so either way, I, I have been. I should I should say I may be mistaken. Oh, Sean, what do I'm you never, have now? I'm never wrong. Uh, no, you're not. I have the uh, <laughs> Performax sixteen thirty two, and it's. Maybe it's just mine, but it's it's also very, very finicky. Like I cannot get the right side, if you're facing it, the right side of the drum to not burn. Hmm. I've adjusted, make sure that everything is level. Everything that I can think of that I've, I've tried to adjust, the right side always continues to burn. It's been like that since I got it. I don't know if, you know, I've double checked that the, the roll or the head or whatever you want, the drum is um, parallel to the bed i mean i've checked everything uh, and so it's pretty finicky and I, sooner or later i'm going to get rid of it and um, get something a little bit larger but yeah i would imagine just from everything that i've seen uh, online and heard that you know if you're in a commercial setting you definitely want the larger sander like i was mentioning i mean aren't you going to be able to uh, with those remove uh, waste faster would you be able to run it faster with that since you got a uh, a stronger motor and um and a stronger feeder feeder motor yes but it's still not as much as you it's still not as much as you think you still run a huge risk of burning right i mean hold on i I know that i'm saying like compared to like what you would have in a a 1632 performax yes yeah Yeah, trust me guys i know you can't it's not a it's not a planer you can't remove you know a whole lot you can't you can't take off like a 16th of an inch no Yeah, you can take off a little bit more, but there's two really super nice things about them. First of all is you can put two different grits of sandpaper on. Right. So you can have an 80 and a 120. Mm -hmm. If it Uh, has dual heads, right? Most of them do. Most of the wide belts do. Yeah. But yes, you are correct, Sean, if it does. I shouldn't say all of them do, but a good portion of them do. That's one of the big attractions to it. Right. The sandpaper is fairly expensive. Uh, the maintenance and upkeep is not cheap. Make sure you have a guy that can work on whatever machine you're going to purchase. But like for us, you know, we get an order for, let's say, 40 tables, which happens. You know, we've got guys that are planing and milling stock all day long. We've got guys that are gluing up tables, all tabletops all day long. And the main reason we have that, it's not really to help reduced amount of time in sanding it's to get the tables flat before they go to sanding if that makes sense oh absolutely so you've got you know a a 48 inch wide table that's you know 10 feet long and we have quite a few of those it's a lot easier to put them through that we get them flat and then we go then we go to town with the with the hand sanders and, and do the final finishing on it but it's a lot easier to maintain that flatness which is important in a commercial environment. So if you've got a production shop, like I said, and you can really justify it, they're definitely the way to go. Yeah. Now, there, there's a lot of machines out there. You know, there's, some, like some, uh, there's a lot of 37-inch machines that don't require a lot of pneumatics, uh, but they're still, you know, like seven horsepower, three-phase motor type machines. You still have to have three-phase power going into your shop or a VFD. Anyways... And they're two completely different animals, Ray, yeah, is, what I'm, is what I'm saying. If you can justify, you know, let's say you're doing kitchen cabinets, mm-hmm. for example, and you're doing a lot of face frames and a lot of door frames, absolutely spend the money, get a nice wide belt sander because it's going to save you a ton of time flattening all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I don't think that I could run my machine as long as this, um, the, the five horsepower power matic without mine overheating 
Like yeah. if I ran two tabletops through it and it would overheat and pop and overheat and pop and overheat and pop. Right. I, I just couldn't run it very long because I had two, not even real large de- tabletops. They were just desktops of ash. And I was barely, you know, like a, a, not even a quarter of a turn. And after about 30 minutes to 45 minutes, I had to take a break and let it cool down and then do it again and again and again. Yeah. It was insane. But what Ray is using now is he's got a Powermatic 5 horsepower open end. And that's almost like that. That is a commercial unit. That's a big machine. Yeah. I, I've seen one of those before. They're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And he's just having problems getting it co-planar. Right. So, you know, that's any machine that you've either got to A, be a machinist and work on your own stuff or B, have somebody that can work on it for you. Right. I wouldn't trade it in. It. I, that's, a, that's a deep question. I'm sorry to get you guys involved in it, but I, I thought I could speak up on it a little bit because I'm familiar, not totally familiar with the all the machines out there like that, but I do have some experience using two of them anyway. That's great. Uh, that, I guess that's it. Who's got the next question? I think it's Sean. Yep. This is from Billy. Hey guys, great podcast. I have a question about how to determine what wood thickness to use for a project. I'm making a console table out of soft maple. I was planning for the shelves to be one inch after milling, but couldn't find any five quarter or six quarter maple boards. So I ended up getting some eight quarter boards. If I mill these eight quarter boards down to an inch thick though, it seems like a lot of waste of wood. I don't have a bandsaw, so I can't resaw them into thinner boards. So I was thinking maybe I'd make the shelves one and a half inches thick, but that would make the table a lot heavier. What are the pros and cons of using thicker versus thinner woods? Thinking about weight, wasted wood, joinery, etc. For reference, I'm going to use tongue and groove joinery to joint the boards and dados to attach the shelves to the legs. Mm-hmm. Thanks and keep up the good work, Billy. Good question. Yeah, it is. Uh, and for this example, and again, this is without us seeing the design of the table. So keep that in mind. I think it would be okay to go with thicker material if, and this is a big one, if it doesn't throw off the design too much. And But a lot of the console tables that I've seen, had they, they seem to have wider aprons on the bottom, uh, mm-hmm. like the one I'm making now, actually. And, and the, the top of mine is going to be sitting on top of the aprons or flush with the top of the aprons. So having a thicker shelf may not throw the design off too much. I, again, I'd have to see what you're talking about as far as the shelves and the design and where they flow and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not really digging the look of it with the thicker boards, you could always buy and use three quarter inch maple plywood and apply solid wood edging, uh, wood edge banding. That's one inch thick to give the board the appearance of it being one inch thick, but only being mm-hmm. three quarters. But again, I'd have to see the design, but that is definitely one option. So you're not having to waste pretty much half of the board of your eight quarter to get down to the desired thickness of one inch. Um, but if it's something that the shelves aren't going to be seen or if they are, and you're not concerned about them being one and a half inches thick, I probably would be cause it's probably going to throw the design off. That's yeah. pretty darn thick, um, compared to probably the rest of the carcass being, I don't know, um, one inch thick, three quarter thick. Um, but I don't think, well, let me ask you guys this. If he does decide to go with one inch or inch and a half inch, the inch and a half board, thick board, wow, that's hard to say. Do you foresee any potential issues as far as the structural integrity of it? Again, we've not seen this and he says there's shelves. I'm not going to think that there, I'm going to say that there's not going to be other than the appearance of it could potentially be off. I can't think of how that would be a detriment. Is he saying that he's going to dado these in? What did he say? Yeah, he's going to dado. He's using a dado to attach the shelves to the legs. And this is a console table. I mean, I don't see it being a structural issue. I I just think that's, I think it's a little bit thick. Yeah. Um, I like your idea of edging three quarter inch soft maple ply or maple ply and giving the the fascia of a one inch thick shelf. I think that's stable. Plywood's pretty strong, so should be able to hold up what he's looking to hold on a console table, at least in my mind. So... Yeah, for sure. Guy, what do you think? Guy? I'm taking this question a little bit differently than you guys took it. The way I see a console table and the way he's attaching it to the legs is that this is going to be an open shelf in the legs. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you could do plywood with the board up, up front. Okay. <clears throat> it has to be solid. 
And I think he's he's saying to go inch and a half because he can't find wood thin enough, rough lumber thin right. enough. So he wants to take eight quarter boards and he thinks it's wasteful right. to plane it down to one inch. So why don't I just go inch and a half? I dig all that, Billy. Where I'm at, I don't talk about work all the time, but that's what I have to draw from. I had to build some stuff the other day and we didn't we just don't buy four quarter or five quarter stock. Mm-hmm. Everything we buy is eight quarter. And I needed three quarter inch stock. And our bandsaw is a piece of junk <laughs> and won't resaw anything. So I had to take eight quarter boards and mill them down to three quarter of an inch. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a t- takes a lot of time. Yeah. Takes a lot of effort. And it's a lot of waste. And I complain about it every time. It's like, why aren't we buying five quarter stock? Well, because this, uh, whatever. So, anyways, you know, when Billy's talking about this, I can empathize with that. But saying I'm going to make the shelves inch and a half thick because I feel bad about wasting the stock, I'm more a slave to the design element than I am a little bit of waste. Mm-hmm. So, there's two two suggestions I can make on this, Billy. Either bite the bullet and mill the, the stuff down so you don't have inch and a half thick shelves because that's going to be really big. It's going to be really heavy. And chunky also. looking. Yep. It's going to be chunky looking. It's going to be chunky monkey. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're married, but this is a really good time to tell your wife you need a new bandsaw. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of budgeting to buy a bunch of eight quarter boards, which you're going to have to do anyways, put in your budget for a new bandsaw. That's that or, or a good used bandsaw. There's a lot of them out there, man. There's a lot of them out there. You can get a good 14 to 20 inch bandsaw for well under a thousand dollars. There's a lot out there. You'd really be surprised, but don't feel that you're wasting wood be a slave to the design, yeah. not to the cost. Mm-hmm. That's my take Especially on. if it's your own piece and you yeah. gotta live with it forever. And yeah. you I mean, and it's mm-hmm. shelves, depending on the size of them, it can't be too much waste. It sounds like it sounds like this is like an open shelf between the, the four legs. I didn't wasn't able to tell based on the question if it was that or if it was uh, enclosed. I, I, you can't really tell either, but that's what I, that's yeah. what I'm assuming. No, I, I think that's probably a, a pretty decent assumption because it, it, if it wasn't, then why would he be so concerned about the look? Right. I mean, I guess because, you know, when you open it, it probably would look bad, but let me ask you uh, a question guy. Yeah. Why couldn't he use three quarter maple ply and put edge banding on it? Once it's already, once it's datoed in the shelves. Or in the legs. I, I think if he does the if I, were, if I were building, it's not it's not really like a shelf in a bookcase because there's going to be a visible line from the 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 face board that you put on there. Correct. And if I had like this open shelf between four legs of a console, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's not closed in on the sides or anything. It's all open. Yeah, and just joined into the legs. I would not want to see that visible line going all the way around between the plywood and the wood. Really? No, huh. I wouldn't want to see it. I'd want it to be solid. I've I'd seen want it to be solid wood. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, it's like there's a lot of console tables nowadays. If you want to quote unquote call them modern or whatever, that that have that look. I mean, I've seen it before. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it could work. I mean, it's just a personal preference, I think, at that point. Yeah. You could get yeah. the three-quarter ply in the legs and then edge band it with some sort of trim. Right. Yeah. 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 You're, you're absolutely right, Sean. But I'm just looking at it from a design aspect. And it doesn't sound like he wants to do that. I may no. be wrong. Now, I he was saying, wrong. just just for clarification, he, want, he wants the shelves to be at the very least one inch thick, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then never mind my what I was thinking also wouldn't work either. I was thinking that if, you know, he had, if he was okay with having three quarter inch shelving, then maybe three quarter inch maple ply do a three quarter inch solid wood border all around and then veneer the plywood. Um, But I think in this case, he wants it to be one inch thick, which means that he would probably have to laminate 
you know, a quarter inch piece yeah. ply or whatever, you know, to, you yeah. have to build it's it. It's just going to be, it's just going to be a mess unless you have the solid wood. And the, 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 the two pieces of advice I can give you, Billy, for whatever it's worth, is just my opinion, bite the bullet. If that's all you can get is eight quarter boards and you are definitely sold on, I got to have soft maple and I don't have a source for it. Yeah. Here's something. I don't know why I didn't think of this before. There's a lot of companies online that'll sell you wood. Mm. Yeah. If you just need. So there's another option. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I don't know where you're located, but uh, I bought wood from Bell Forest Products before. Mm-hmm. I've also bought wood from CR Mooters Paw, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually fairly close to me. But there are other venues. So that's something that maybe you want to look at mm-hmm. to get some five quarter stock or four quarter stock or five quarter stock is what you'd need. And if you just um, need enough for shelving, I don't think the shipping is that terrible. <clears throat> if it was a bunch of, of wood that you had to get that, I think that'd be a different story. But if it's only a little bit, sh- shipping's not that terrible on it. I can't imagine it would be any taller or you wouldn't need boards any longer than 48 inches. Yeah. No, it probably needs like maybe five or six board feet too. Yeah. But uh, anyways, I hope that helps, Billy. Yeah. yeah we probably mill beat it. that one. <laughs> if you already got the lumber, no sense in it. Mill it. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Bite the bullet. Yep. All right. Well, hopefully that helps, Billy. We on to you. Okay. This one is by, this question's from Nate. He says, hey guys, great job on the podcast learning so much wanted to get Hui's feedback on the new table saw blade he got i actually got it probably about eight months ago and it is i guess you would call it a woodworker 2 clone it's by uh, wd quinn saw company out in st louis missouri and um, i had found out about them because they do blade sharpening and i asked if they had a saw blade that was similar to the woodworker too and they actually said well we have one that's pretty much identical to the forest woodworker too and i said how much and they said it was anyway it was it was a competitive price so i bought it and uh i'm really happy with that i've had it for about eight months now it's a saw blade that sits in my uh saw for pretty much the majority of the time it is a it is a general purpose blade it is not a combination blade so that's that's different i used to use a combination blade which is still very different a combination blade has the three or the four teeth that are alternating tooth bevels and then the Mm -hmm. the one raker in front that is a flat grind that has a much deeper gullet whereas the general purpose blades which is the forest woodworker 2 is a 40 tooth alternating uh, tooth bevel blade and the gullets while they're deep they're not as deep they're they're both used in the same way in the sense that uh, they can both do ripping and cross cut. So uh, I thought a woodworker well. two was a combination blade. I think, and it's and just I, a forty tooth ATB. Forty tooth ATB. They call it an all purpose or general purpose blade. Is what is what Forrest classifies it at. And I actually looked that up. I looked up the difference between the um, the combination blade or what saw makers would classify as a combination blade. And it's 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 having both the the four cross cut blades or teeth, and the one ripping tooth, and it gives it uh, that deeper gullet means that it can eject chips a little bit a lot faster, and so it you can actually rip a lot faster with a combination blade versus a general purpose blade. But the general purpose blade just gives a lot more, well at least the forest woodworker too gives a much cleaner cut. I have not used a for, uh, forest woodworker too. I've only used the combination blade from Infinity, which is a very good blade, and I've used the WD Quinn general purpose blade. That's a woodworker two clone, I guess is what you would call. It's a great blade. It's a very produces a very clean cut, and I love using it because I'm not switching blades between cross cut. I'm I'm able to get a very clean cut in cross cut, and I'm also a, uh, able to get a very clean bl- cut from from ripping. So. Now, I think both of you guys, well, both of you guys have used Woodworker 2s, and I believe you guys have both used uh, other general purpose blades as well, correct? Like high-quality general purpose blades. Yeah. Sean? Um, well, I, didn't, <laughs> I was going to let you take a stab at it, but... <laughs> yeah, I currently use the uh, the Woodworker 2, the uh, the 40 tooth, and it's fantastic. Um, I actually need to clean it right now, but yeah, it. I mean, it's exactly worth, worth all the hype and... Uh, and it's worth the money too. 
Um, it, it cuts really, really clean. Um, I don't change the blade out if I'm cutting plywood or solid wood or cross cutting or ripping, which, you know, I don't, I don't have any tear out problems with that. Um, it's expensive, but again, it works really, really well. And mm-hmm. I also had the Ridge carbide, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another fantastic blade, a little bit cheaper, I think, than the woodworker two. Um, it's the TS 2000, I think it's what it's called. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Um, a few dollars cheaper than the woodworker two. It it's did a fantastic job. Yeah. yeah. Um, great customer service. I had an issue with the first blade. Uh, no questions asked, sent me out a new blade, paid me for the shipping, uh, actually included money with the replacement blade, which I thought was pretty cool. But yeah, no questions asked, replaced it. And the second one worked fantastically until you cut aluminum on a saw stop. Um, <laughs> and I've since learned, I, I need one of those whiteboards that says zero days since the last brake cartridge tripping. But um, yeah, very costly mistake. But uh, yeah, both both blades are fantastic. I couldn't, I can't tell you how long the uh, the ridge carbide would have lasted it between sharpenings, but I'd imagine it's just as fast <laughs> or just as long, just as long as you're the saying your saw stop saw ruined one of your blades. No, I ruined one of the blades. Oh. There's a difference. How'd you There's a difference. Blade? How did I ruin the blade? I cut aluminum and triggered the break. Oh, okay. See, I can cut an aluminum all day long on my saw. <laughs> oh, I, I can't too. Even, it won't even hurt the teeth because, you know, they're carbide teeth. It's harder than the aluminum. It doesn't really affect it. Yeah, I can't too. I can't too on my saw stop. I just got to bypass the thing first. Yeah. But I can't use a seven and a quarter blade, so you got me there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guy, what about your experience with that aluminum cutting Powermatic you got? I've been using a forest woodworker too since the late nineties and I've got two of them. I keep one fully sharp on the shelf and one in the saw. And once a year I send it off to be cleaned and, you know, sharpened this year at the woodworkers woodworking show, which was in town about a month ago, I did buy the Ridge carbide blade. It wasn't that much less expensive. I mean, I can I found uh, Woodworker Two online from an online company for a hundred and twenty bucks, and I think I paid a hundred and ten for the Ridge Carbide. So, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of price difference. They both cut exceptionally well. They're mm-hmm. both very good blades. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with both of them. They're both very quiet. When I did a direct comparison of the, the the blades, just visually, the forest teeth were thicker carbide mm. than the ridge. And then I compared that just for grins to a Freud blade I have. Mm-hmm. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> the Freud cuts really well, but you know it might take two sharpenings and then you have to throw it out. Yeah, because the the, the car, there's no, hardly any carbide there. It's like a sixteenth of an inch. The forest blade that I compare it to has probably been sharpened maybe seven or eight times, mm-hmm. and it still had more carbide in the teeth than the ridge carbide did. Right. Brand yeah. New. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure I'm not a tool tester. Right. I don't have scientific equipment or anything else. I, I like I said, I visually inspected the blade. They're both quiet. They both do a, make a very nice cut. It is exactly at one eighth of an inch. I measured that also because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a stickler for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's 0.125. It was within a couple thou of that. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I really believe that if you buy any good quality blade, whether it's a forest, a ridge carbide, uh Tenru, I've also bought some of their blades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those are really nice blades. But there's a lot of different blade manufacturers out there, and they're all pretty good. It's just a matter of the longevity of it and uh sharpening. And like I said, the Freud, the Freud blades I, that that I have, I compared it to. It was, I mean, it was really <laughs> it was really surprising. Yeah. Big how difference. much carbide. There, how much carbide in the tooth there wasn't. Yeah. 
So uh, the rich carbide's a good blade. Yep. Well, I think that answers it. I mean, these are all all the ones that we mentioned are are high quality blades, and you're probably not going to go wrong with with either one. Um, you know, again, probably the price difference that you see between the Forest Woodworker two and maybe the Ridge Carbide is exactly that uh, guy. Is that you know you see just a little bit more carbide there, which means you're going to get those extra few sharpenings out of the life of that blade. So. Yeah, the Ridge Carbide still had a lot of carbide. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, it's, that's a nice blade. It's a nice blade. I'm very happy with it. Yeah, that surprises yeah. me that there's more carbide on on the Forest than there was the Ridge. Yeah, I I took a a, a mic to it. <laughs> I can't remember what the numbers were. But it, was, <laughs> it was more. With that guy, I think we uh, we shoot the questions back to you. The question is back okay. in your court. <clears throat> this is from James. It says. Or he asks, I am researching efficient methods for breaking down sheets of plywood for shop cabinets, and I'm trying to avoid splintering the outer layer and achieving square cuts. I do not own a track saw, but do own a table saw, miter saw, and circular saw with combination blades. What do you guys recommend for most effective methods at a decent cost point, or I should say price point? What style of saw blade, TPI, and brand of blade do you recommend? Huh, this sounds familiar. Or do I run out and get a track saw or keep it simple as blue painter's tape to hold down the layers? What variables should I think about regarding the plywood selection itself? Thank you very much for the input and keep up the great podcast, James. Well, James, that's a, that's a, a really good question. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a really good question, and 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 that's it. Really cuts to the heart of what a lot of people are, are feeling when they don't have a a track saw, and they say, "Oh, everybody's a shop cabinets, cabinet work. You gotta get a track saw." You don't. My my recommendation, if you're just doing some this this one project with shop cabinets, is go buy that cheap Freud plywood melamine blade. Yep, mm-hmm. they're typically eighty teeth. They're a yeah, they're typically 82th. I'm trying to think what grind they're at. I think they're ATB, but I think it's a, it may be, it's not a negative rake, but I know they may be ATB. Anyways, they do a really good job on that stuff. Another thing you can do is, you know, the, you can use the, the, the painter's tape yep. to hold it in. You can also scribe the line that you're cutting mm-hmm. from underneath because it's going to, chip out underneath, get a zero clearance insert mm-hmm. is also a very important thing on your table saw. But if you don't have the budget to get a track saw, I recommend getting a plywood blade and a zero clearance insert. And I think that's going to solve your problems. Yeah. Let me what ask you a question. Think? Well, let me ask yeah, you a question. Ahead. Let me ping pong that for a second. What do you recommend him do to break down the full sheet into smaller manageable sizes or pieces? I would just use a, a, a straight edge and a circular saw mm-hmm. and give yourself an extra inch or so all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, try to maintain a, a one reference edge to all of it. Yeah. Even if it's splintered out, it's still going to be straight. Right, right. Would you recommend him make his own track for a circular saw? You can do that, but you're still going to have the chip out that you don't. You're not going to find when you have like with the track saw. Right. They do a better oh, job. Oh, right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. But yeah, you know, making yeah. it a little bit easier than you know, say you need to do a rip on a four by eight piece. You know, you can make a, a track out of MDF. Yeah, I do it as I I I take a piece of uh, foam insulation. Yeah. And I lay it across my it goes across actually my assembly table my. Uh, outfeed table and onto my table saw. That's why I have track saw marks in my table saw where I've literally cut into the cast iron top. Wow. <laughs> yeah. If I wasn't stupid enough to do it once, I did it once. So. Um, sound like me all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm much worse and I know you're bad, so I'm really bad. So I, I, I put that on top of that. And then I put the plywood on top of it. And that actually helps a lot too with the splintering. Yeah, yeah. But um, using the right blade really helps. Using a sharp blade helps. Uh, I use a track saw, obviously. I, I use, you know, a lot of the the fancy 
fancy ass tools that I have and I don't cut the, the sheets down into manageable chunks and then run them through my table saw. I'm cutting them one time. Right. But you do have to have the right tools for that. That's not you could do it with just a straight edge and a circular saw, but it would be very difficult and it wouldn't be very accurate. Not enough not accurate enough for what I what I like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's the only reason I was throwing those questions back um, because doing it with a straight edge, you can get close. But I think if you take the time to make your own track for your own circular saw with a zero clearance base on it, it's not going to prevent tear out, but it's going to give you a straighter cut, in my right. opinion, an yeah. easier time at getting that. And instead of measuring both edges of the plywood and making sure the straight edges, you mm-hmm. know, lined up and clamped and measure the offset from the base. So that's the only reason I, I was throwing those questions back at you um, yeah, yeah, on that to spitball a little bit. I think uh, Diablo makes a seven and a quarter inch 60 tooth blade that you could use in your circular saw. And that might get you a little closer to the line. Not exactly, but that way it's again, not a, maybe not as much tear out. Um, so now, could you take that same? Oh my goodness. Uh, Play guy. And put it, let's say in your saw stop and use it in there too. <laughs> he wouldn't need to. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness. No, but he but I don't think he has a saw stop. So he could do that. He could do he it. Didn't say that. He didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say he had All a right, saw well. stop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think uh I mean I don't Sean, do you have any other ideas? I guy, you really covered it, so yeah, I, the only thing I can add to it is I would I would recommend just buying a track saw and and read the reviews. I love my Makita. The Festool's great. The Bosch, from what I've read, is great. Read the reviews. Don't don't have to buy the same tool twice. Get the one that has great reviews and what you the, the most that you can afford. And then go out and get you a guide rail square from someone like TSO Products. That thing is a game changer mm, yeah. for uh, lining lining up my my track. And when you have those and you have the you know, the 55 inch or whatever, 118 inch track or whatever you end up getting, you're going to be set. And it makes it so yeah, much just, easier. Even though I still break my plywood down on the floor on top of a foam mat, it's still a lot easier. Yeah, do yourself a favor and buy a Festool or a Makita because the tracks are interchangeable yeah. and a lot of the accessories are made mm-hmm. to fit Festool. There's a lot of stuff out there that only fits Festool. However, It'll also work on the Makita track. That's right. Yep. It won't. It won't work. On, it won't work on the Bosch. Mm-hmm. That that uh, that is true. Yeah. So there are a lot of good things about the Bosch, though, that they have accessories for the routers and stuff. But again, you're going to have more uh, accessories if you go that route. And I'm actually look. I have the Makita track saw, but I'm actually going to be buying the Festool tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually, it's the other way around. People buy the Festool saw and then buy the Makita tracks because they're cheaper. Yeah, but I've not had the best luck with uh, them being flat. Ooh. So really? I'm going the other route when I get my hundred and what is it? What does the festival make? hundred and six inch? hundred and ten uh, They, make, they make like 3,000 foot long ones. Yeah. They make some pretty I don't need one that long. They're, they're well, whatever they're hundred and- I think it's 110 inch. Yeah. It's, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that I'm going to be getting the festival equivalent of that. Is, is what I'm going to be going for. It's it's, it's Ooh, pricey, yeah. but uh, I don't want to take a chance of having to send a 110 inch rail back to Amazon <laughs> or Acme Tools or whatever because it's not yeah. flat. So I know the Festool is is probably going to be pretty darn flat. So I'm going to go that route. Those are actually made here in Indiana. The tracks they actually what made, are manufacture the tracks here. Yeah. Oh. They have a, a well, can you bring me one? <laughs> What's that? Can you bring me one? They have seconds. They have factor rejects. Uh-huh. I'll take one. I'll, I'll I'll run right over and get you one, Sean. <laughs> I know. I know they have. I, the last time I was there, I was walking through the warehouse. They had a bunch of rejects there that looked. They looked like they were okay. I don't know what they're going to do. They probably put them. You know, do something with them. Yeah, well, I'll keep my something. eyes out because it, it's the hundred and six inch guide rail. That's what they sell. I've got one that I've got a big long one that'll do eight foot. Yeah. I do too. And that's probably the one you have then. It's convenient. Yep. Well, that's all I've got. Mm -hmm. All right, Sean, I think you've got actually the next question. So, well, I'll just keep talking. How about that? This question is from Yarmo. I'm designing a small cabinet with a frame and panel door. I want there to be a small chamfer less than an eighth of an inch on the inside edge of the frame. How do I cut it? 
On the rail, I can just use my block plane or run it along a chamfering bit on the router table, but on the style, the chamfer would have to stop exactly where it meets the rail. Do I cut it partially with the router and finish it off with the chisel after assembly, or should I cut it after assembly with a beaded guided with a bearing guided chamfering bit that would still leave me with the inside corners unfinished though? Any input would be appreciated. Keep up the great work. And that's from Yarmo from Germany. Nice. Well, yeah. Um, thanks for the question, Yarmo. I would probably do what you mentioned. Uh, I would probably do what you mentioned before assembly using the router. And I would drive fit the door, mark the styles where the bottom of the rails are so that you know exactly where to stop. And I would probably play it safe and mark back about an eighth of an inch just so that I don't accidentally go too far. Uh, from that line. And that, that's going to give me just a little bit of room. And then I would, uh, I would disassemble that door, run the rails over the chamfering bit. Cause you can know, you can run from end to end. And then using that line that you just transferred to the styles, I would transfer that line to the back and then pivot into the chamfering bit and run all the way from one end to the other, stopping at the line. And then I would assemble the door and then use a chisel to, uh, make the chamfer meet on the styles to the rails and it's going to be pretty, um, pretty straightforward. You can reference the existing chamfer so that you know you're going to have the same size chamfer that you're removing with the uh, the chisel. And if you have a nice sharp chisel, it's going to be uh, pretty easy, and um, you probably won't be able to tell a difference at all. At least, hopefully, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to. Uh, it's pretty, that's my recommendation and how I would tackle that. Uh, Hui, how would you tackle something like this? I think I would probably do the same thing. I think it just would be easier to do it that way as opposed to running in the chisel or getting everything squared up afterwards. If you did it beforehand, it might be a little bit easier. I think I think you pretty much covered it as to how I would do it as well. Um, yeah, so. sorry, I didn't leave much meat on the bone there for you guys. No, <laughs> no, I mean, it's a it's a fair, you know, it's it, it's if this or that, you know, so yeah, kind of, you kind of covered the, what I would probably do as well. So hopefully guy has a different solution. (laughs) Well, I guess my, I didn't see this question until tonight. So you'll have to excuse me. I didn't do any research. Not that I ever really do any research. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, reading it, I'm thinking, is there a rail and style set? to do this chamfer because if there is, you could cope and stick it and Mm -hmm. just be done with it. Yeah. If not, I don't know. I really don't know if there's a, a, like I said, a a rail and style bit that'll do that type of chamfer. If not myself, I would put the frame together without the panel in it, Mm -hmm. not glue it up, just some light duty clamps. And then I'd run a, a chamfer bit with a bead, with a uh, bearing with mm-hmm. my router mm-hmm. and go around it and then just get rid of the little small areas with a chisel and be done with it. Yeah. So to answer your question, Guy, I actually have, I, I don't know why I didn't think about this because silly me, I actually have a rail and style bit set that has a chamfer on it. It's, I guess it's called a modern shaker style. Okay, well there you go. So get a rail, get a rail and style bit set, put it in your router router table, and do cope and stick style frames, and you're done. Yeah, and then you don't have to deal with that uh, yep. cleaning it up in the inside. Um, yeah, that's probably or if you don't want to buy yeah. a specialty set, just use a chisel. Probably the quickest is no. the easiest and quickest way of doing it. Yeah, but I like bits, so I'd probably buy the set. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'd, I, I'd buy the set. Any yeah. chance, any chance I get to buy something new, <laughs> I do it. <laughs> I'm all about the the new tools. Yeah, I, I used a uh, OG style cope and stick set last weekend or weekend before, and man, is it fun! Well, it, it makes it life so much easier. It, does. it really it's just does. Boom, boom, and you got you know, especially for like a a door that isn't really seeing a lot of abuse. It doesn't need you know big mortise and tenons and all that stuff. The the, the stub tenons work fine in that situation. Yeah. And it's just a really easy way to do it. And they have a lot of different profiles. It can actually be pretty elegant. Yeah. But it's a good way to go. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, Yarmo, I hope that helps. Um, who's next? I've got the last question. There you go. He's got the last one. Yep. And this is from Jason. Sorry, we were out of time. Oh, great. <laughs> Uh, this question is from Jason. He says, Hey guys, great show. Keep up the great work. Here's my question. I'm woodworking at a two car garage and I'm looking at into getting more serious and take my woodworking to the next level. But living in mid Michigan, 
I run into high humidity and temps in the summer that make working in the garage unbearable. The garage has no windows, but does share a wall with the house, and my master bedroom is over the garage. I've considered installing a dehumidifier and swapping out the two basic lights in the garage for ceiling fans. What are your thoughts on this solution? How do you guys keep your shop cool and comfortable when you're working in the hot summers? Thanks in advance for the help. So thoughts on the solution first. So I think the ceiling fans are a great way of uh, keeping relatively cool, you know, keeping the air moving. However, the dehumidifier, while it takes out the moisture in the air, it also warms the air. And I know this because I had a dehumidifier in my shop when I had a whole bunch of lumber drying on the garage floor. And it definitely raised the temperature of the garage. So while it takes out the humidity, it's going to raise the temperature, but you also got the ceiling fans that are, you know, obviously going to circulate the air. So I don't know if it's really, it'll probably help and make it more comfortable in the sense that there won't be as much moisture in the air and the fact that you're also circulating the air, but it's going to raise the temperature of the garage. Now for me, what I, what I've done to, and I live in, in Alabama, so it is like third degree Vietnam hot here. Okay. And it's muggy, extremely humid here, but I use a a ductless mini split and the ductless mini split split also dehumidifies the air because it's an air conditioner. So it takes out all the humidity in the air. You know, it's, it's extremely comfortable in, in the dead of summer. But that's obviously maybe a, a solution that's, you know, out of your price range right now. You know, the ductless mini splits aren't cheap, but they're not terribly expensive. And plus, you've got to run a dedicated line for the ductless mini split. So you have to consider either hiring a contractor or doing it yourself and, and buying the Romex and the, and the proper breaker for that. So just something to consider there. Now, Guy, you don't have a ductless mini split, but you're pretty much using the utilities from the home to cool your area, correct? Correct. I, I have the the mechanicals for my house and my garage. And like I said before, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a curse because it takes up a lot of room and it's noisy as hell when I'm trying to videotape. The blessing is, is that I cut a hole in the plenum, mm-hmm. which is against code, <laughs> <laughs> but I did it anyways. So I've got a, a, a duct that gives me heat in the winter and cools in the summertime. Right. Now, if I did not have that, I would probably go the mini split route. Yeah. And if I didn't have the budget for a mini split, they have those new portable, because you don't have any windows. Right. It doesn't have windows, correct? Yep. They have those portable air conditioners now. Yeah. That are fairly inexpensive. I saw some that were, you know, four or $500 that would do the size of a two car garage. Yeah. Um, you'd probably have to have it. it pro- it's probably not the most energy efficient thing in the world. Many splits are, but right. this, these things are not going to be. And, and like we said, uh, an air conditioner will not only cool the air, but also remove moisture. So there's a couple options for you, Jason. Yeah. Sean, what are, what are you doing? Uh, I also have a mini split and my mini split has AC mode and it also has a separate dehumidifier mode so yeah. if it's extremely crazy i'll just pop that on for a little bit but um does it, those things do heat also yeah heat yes. ac and dehumidifier the heat three is di- electric correct correct yeah yep. mm-hmm. three different modes yeah on mine at least um yeah i agree with guy if you don't if it's not in the budget for something like that you don't have windows for a window unit you just you've got to go portable that's what i would recommend um, instead of running a dehumidifier, which, I mean, you've got to drain that, that anyway. So go portable on the AC unit. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you could still put some ceiling fans in there if you want, that way you'll help move around the air a little bit while you're running your AC. Yeah. That's, I agree with what both of you guys said. uh, Another thing too, is make sure that the garage is insulated and you have a good insulated garage door. And when it's hot in the summertime, Keep the dang door closed. Yep, yep. Unless I absolutely have to, that garage door stays closed. I don't do not want what little cool air I do have in the garage being sucked out. So keep that in mind. Well, all right. I think that does it for our questions. Uh, let's go with Sean. Sean, what do you got going on in the shop, man? I've started a um, 
a hall table for my sister. Uh, it's going to be made out of cherry. I got the design done. It took me so long to get the motivation to design and build and all that. But now I'm back in the groove. Got the sketch up done. It's going to, it's going to be pretty nice. Um, I'm waiting on, uh, some tape so I can see and see some stuff. I didn't, I ran out of masking tape, ran out of double-sided tape. I need to make <laughs> a few more templates and then, um, and I'm going to assemble the entire table using dominoes because I'm, I'm running low on time. So I hope to have that done in a week or two. And, um, it's going to be nice. I've, I've got some pretty, pretty nice cherry this, uh, this round. Is it going to be I've just uh, been working on that? Sorry. You said solid cherry, correct? Yep. Solid okay, cherry. Okay. Yep. So that's all that I have going on in my shop right now. Uh, Guy, what about you? In my home shop, I started uh, my kitchen island, mm -hmm. finally. And I'm working on that. The At work, I finished my big veneered table with the crazy legs. Yeah, That came cool. out really nice. Yeah. If you want to see pictures of that, check out my Instagram, Guy's Woodshop. That's not a shameless plug. I guess it kind of is. Yeah, it but matter. that's just if you want if you want to take a look at it, uh, go there. I posted it last. If you want to look at guys' Friday. legs, go oh. check them out. Yeah, you don't want to look at my legs. So <laughs> I finished that, and then I this week I only worked three days. Yeah, I finished the table last week Thursday because I work Monday through Thursday. This week I built actually two projects in three days. I was pretty proud of myself. They're nothing, you know, crazy. It's just a couple tables out of ply and some you know, ash and maple and stuff like that. But I got two of those built this this week, which makes my boss happy since I spent so much time on that damn table, <laughs> the other table. So mm. what about you, Hui? Well, I finally finished everything with my CNC cabinet. Now it's just a matter of waiting for the CNC to arrive. But uh, in the meantime, and I didn't post any of this on, on Instagram, but I also made a cabinet underneath my scroll saw and I made a cabinet for another work service that I have. And so it actually was three or four cabinets if you want to count the CNC table as two cabinets because it's actually like quite a bit of drawer construction there. But I finished that all up and um, I'm trying to find things that I can do that are a little bit smaller projects, you know, because we talked about that last week. And this time, this today, I just started looking at uh, doing some small marquetry panels uh, on this grow saw. So I have I have a bunch of different colored veneers and some other, you know, I've got that uh, bargain bin from either you guys ever get that bargain bin from veneer supplies. It's like. 50 bucks or something like that. And you get like a, a whole bunch. I've of seen it. I've seen it, but I've never purchased one. Well, I got, I got that. And uh, man, it gives you a bunch of different ven veneers, some really beautiful stuff. So um, I might be digging into some of that a little bit and start going down that rabbit hole of, you know, trying some scroll saw veneer uh, marquetry. So that's what I got going on. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So I think that wraps up the show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions, please send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We would also like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and the feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are my website. Guy, where can we find you? Huh? <laughs> Where can we find you, Guy? Uh, guyswoodshop.com. And Sean, where can we find you? Um, before I announce that, we need to uh, ask you guys. It's pretty important. Like, Don't forget to leave us a, uh, a five-star review on iTunes. Oh, we yes. are. It, it really helps us in the search ranking. So when we ask that, we really do mean that and appreciate it if you have. So anyways, you can find me at simplecove.com and at simplecove on Instagram and YouTube and Twitter. Well, thank you guys. I'll uh, talk to you guys in a couple. See you later. Right. See you.